Would you stand in reverence as we read from the Scripture this morning, 1 John. We're in the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 7. The author writes, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent His Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because He first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from Him is this, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Some memories are fleeting and others remain lodged in our memories for years or decades. When I read this text weeks ago preparing this sermon series, I flashed on a memory from decades back. I mentioned Camp Egan in the announcements and the opportunities earlier. It was summertime. I was at Camp Egan. I was a teenager. I'd been there a couple of summers before. I was back for probably the third or fourth year, so I knew some of the leaders. One of the leaders came up to me one day and asked me if I would help lead in worship that night. Every night while we were at camp, we would go to the outside tabernacle. There's a big roof, open sides, a concrete slab, and row after row of wooden benches. I said, oh, I, I think I could do that. He gave me a scripture to read. It was this very text. I remember going back to my cabin and practicing reading through this. It can be a little bit slippery as the author weaves around and comes back to the same ideas over and over again. But I was ready and I went to the worship that evening. It came my turn to read and I stood up and read this text. I remember the impression this text left on me, especially those verses about being liars if we say we love God, but hate our brothers and sisters. 
You probably could imagine that if you bring together hundreds of middle school teenagers who have not known each other and put them in small quarters in a campground and in cabins, that conflict might arise before the week is out. That happened that week. Some drama began to be stirred up. And that night when I read this passage that if we say we love God, and I did love God. I'd been raised in the church. I wanted to be a faithful follower of Jesus. So if we say we're going to do that, we must love all of our brothers and sisters. And then I realized the gossip that was going on, the drama that was being created, the things people were saying was something that I should not be caught up in. But maybe like you, Sometimes we get reeled in. We find ourselves in experiences, maybe saying something or listening to something or affirming something that upon further reflection or upon reading a passage like this, we might think that we should not be involved with. That night at that outdoor tabernacle, as I was reading that passage, it felt like God was speaking directly to me. David, if you say you love me, if you say you love God, then you must love your brothers and sister. You must love all the people of God, all the children of God. If you say you love God and you receive God's love, then you must live that out in your everyday life. It became a part of my faith and theology that was part of the bedrock of my own faith journey. It was one of those formation experiences that I will forever remember. And I think that's just what 1 John was hoping when he wrote this letter, that we would realize that love is central to being a follower of Christ. That love is part of the core of the gospel message. That love should be and could be the foundation for anything and everything we do with our lives. That's probably one of the reasons I struggled when I got to seminary. So many of the theologians we were reading were starting their writings talking about how terrible humans were. Talking about sin and original sin. And I wanted to talk about love. I wanted to write about God's love. I thought that was pretty biblical. I think it's a better place to start, and it's a better place to focus on in our life and our faith. That may be part of the reason that when we gathered a group of leaders a few years ago to meet with me over a course of weeks, we spent hours together trying to articulate the core values of Boston Avenue, who we are and who we aspire to be, that we decided that the first thing we should say, I put this in your outline, the Boston Avenue United Methodist Church affirms that everyone is a beloved child of God. This author says it. Jesus said it when he was asked about the greatest commandment. He said, of course, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. 
Sometimes I assume that everyone has that at the heart of their faith, but I've gotten feedback from some people from time to time after a sermon where I've sort of challenged us to live out our faith, to go the extra mile, to do something that shows our faith in action. A few people have shared that they just left feeling guilty or feeling shamed. And I realized that in those occasions, I had not emphasized enough the love of God and how this author points out that God loves us first before we are, before we do anything. God loves us. And all we do is in response to that love. If you don't have that deeply embedded or integrated into your life and faith, then when we talk about what God calls us to do and we're not there yet, It's easy to slip into shame and guilt or even to feel condemned. I never mean to condemn any of us. But it's important that I continue to reiterate, as this author does, that God loved us first and that empowers us to love. That God loves us whether we're right where God wants us or whether we're still on the journey of getting to that place. It's easy to listen to some preachers and think that God is all about punishment and sin and terror and threats. As I read through the Bible, I think God is all about love and grace. Certainly this author thinks that and emphasizes that over and over, that love is at the core. There's four Theological points, I want us to make sure we understand and sort of walk through that sequence of those. I put them in your outline. This author says that we can love one another first off because love is from God. In that very first verse we read, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God this connection between God loving us and us having the ability to love one another is where this author starts reminding us that all of this all of this love and life is from God secondly he points out that this great love is revealed through Jesus Christ we heard it in verse 9 God's love was revealed among us in this way God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. But as he so often does, a few verses later, he comes back around to the same point. We see it in verse 14. He says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. This author sees divine love as a really big love, big enough for the whole world. Big enough for everyone, this author says over and over again. Surely this love is big enough to include you and me. No matter where we are on our faith journey, we can be sure, this author says, that God has loved us and is trying to reveal that love to us through Jesus Christ. And we are to experience it in the Christian community. For if we have received God's love, surely we'll be sharing it with one another in our life together. That would be a lot of theology for 
any of us, but this author's not done yet. This author's Trinitarian, so he wants to talk about the love that connects us with the Holy Spirit. We find this third theological insight in verse 13. He says, by this we know that we abide in God and God in us because God has given us of his Spirit. That God has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit residing within us or filling us up or transforming us. Other places in Scripture, authors talk about the manifestation of the Spirit, of speaking in an unknown language or some prayer language, or sometimes it's spoken of as being able to prophesy the future. This author says not so much about that. This author says abiding in love, being loving, sharing love with one another is the sign of the Spirit. Is someone filled with the Holy Spirit? This author says the way you can know is do they love other people? Do you see the love flowing out of their lives because they've known this great love of God and they're trying to share it with others? Are you looking for God to fill you up with love? To transform your life and all that you say and do because you're so full of God's love? John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, talked a lot about this, particularly these parts where this author and others in the Christian scriptures talk about being perfected in love or being made perfect in love. It leads us to our fourth theological proposition. It's stated in verse 12 in our passage, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is perfected in us, or made complete or mature. We're made whole, has to do with our salvation through God's love. And this author and others say that that love can fill us up completely, so that all we say and do is based on that love of God. God can make us fully loving god's love this author says is that way that it's at work in your life that it's cleansing you from all sin that it's taking away evil desires that it's filling you and so shaping you that all that you do is based on god's love we can be so shaped by god's love that all of our motivations are fueled by love of God and love of neighbor. Wesley wrote about this throughout his life. He was the founder of Methodism. He started these small groups. They began to grow all the while. He was writing sermons and different documents that he was passing out to people so they might understand Christian faith better. I'm going to read you a little passage that he wrote when he was 60 years old. 1763 is the year, but he had been writing about this for decades. He writes, In one view, Christian perfection, or being perfected in love by God, is purity of intention, dedicating all the life to God. It is giving God all your heart. It is one desire and intent ruling all our habits and attitudes. It is devoting not only a part, 
but all of your soul, body, and wealth to God. In another aspect, it is all the mind that was in Christ enabling us to walk as Christ walked. It is the circumcision of the heart from all impurity, all inward as well as outward pollution. It is a renewal of the heart in the whole image of God, the full likeness of the one who created it. In yet another perspective, it is loving God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. Wesley was attacked for writing that and other pieces saying the same thing. And he said, I don't know why people are attacking me for something that's promised in the Bible. He used this passage and others to say, God has promised to do this in our lives. So why don't we expect it? The good news here is this divine transforming love is available to you and me. Wesley says, why not expect it? Why not seek it? Why not look for it? Why not allow this great love of God to work in your life day in and day out? The invitation is let the love of God work in you. Let God's love transform your life so that you might experience all that God intends for you to experience in this life as a follower of Christ. There's an old story about a master and a student or a novice that he's teaching. One day the master asks, where does God dwell? And the student says, oh, everywhere. God is the creator of the universe, the creator of us all. God is with us all the time and in all places. The master said, that's a great theological answer. But I would add from my experience that God's love most obviously dwells in the individual that allows God's love to live and grow within them. Amen. And thanks be to God.